Hey, Rockheads, it's time for NDC Oslo again, June 15th through 19th in Oslo, Norway. Richard and I will be there, of course, as well as all your favorite speakers. World-class stuff here, folks. NDC-Oslo.com. We'll see you there. .NET Rocks, episode 1133, with guest Phil Hack. Recorded Monday, April 27th, 2015. Hey, 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 it's Carl and Richard. How you doing? I'm all right, buddy. It's been a long, long day for me. It has. This is one of our uh, days where we record four shows, and this is our third, actually, the first one canceled, but right. that's neither here nor there. Because I started about six o'clock in this morning dealing with the uh, the Nepal earthquake. Oh, my God. Yeah, this, so your humanitarian toolbox requires you to uh, do a lot of stuff Well, answer a lot yes, of emails. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. Nepal's very special to me. I've been there several times. I've done charity work there before. We've built a library and so forth. So, I mean, like any disaster, your first reaction is to look for your family. And yeah. and there's a group of Sherpa that we've worked with for years. And so I just wanted to know they were okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the good news is they are. It took time to find them all. I mean, it's a it's a 100-year oh, earthquake. This is a catastrophic event. A hundred years ago, there was nowhere near as big of cities or anything up there. And well, how do you think Everest got so high? Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that is the, the Indian subcontinent is plowing into Asia and it keeps yeah. getting taller a little bit every year. And, and, uh, you know, here it is. So There's a lot of plate tectonics going on over yeah, there. Yeah. It's, it's serious business. So my, my friends are fine. Their village is not the, the library that I helped build a few years ago has that building is all collapsed. The most of the school is a ruin, but nobody was hurt in that. There are thousands dead. Uh, there are. There, I, I don't know how, how high the numbers are going to go. The problem is that in a developing nation like Nepal, the infrastructure is only so sturdy to begin with. And now that it's broken, the big concern is going to be disease, cholera, typhus. Uh, that's a lot of people that need clean water, that need food. And uh, so there's there's folks on the ground. The, the Red Cross is there. There's a lot of organizations that have arrived very quickly. It must be very hard to get water up the mountain. Well, and, and I mean, Kathmandu, which is the, the biggest city, is in a valley oh. that has rivers running by it, but the rivers are, are heavily polluted because it's a developing country. Like, they just don't have the garbage discipline. They, mm. just, they don't have all of those things. Mm. The taps were working before the earthquake, and the water was safe. It yeah. was immediately drinkable, but now that it, the taps aren't working... uh that water is not safe, and mm-hmm. that's going to propagate a crisis probably bigger than the earthquake itself. So, is there anything that our listeners can do uh, with humanitarian toolbox to, now, to help? HT is still in the early days, and we have not finished testing on apps that would, without a doubt, help. And it's not the time to experiment. Yeah. I know it's a rush, and and you know, there's an adrenaline to we could do it right now, but mm. we're more conservative than that. We're more careful than that. The I wish we could, but we're not going to. It's not safe. Okay. I don't want to make the situation worse. The the thing to do, really, you know, having learned, spent a lot of time with disaster response in the past couple of years with HT Box is they need the money. We're not, they're not kidding. This is not a fundraising opportunity. They are spend, they are flying jets. They are bringing relief workers. They're bringing food. They're bringing water, bringing cleaning systems. That money saves lives. So 
Pick your charity of choice that's involved. I suggest the Red Cross. Red Cross. Um, Save the Children is there, working specifically on orphanages. There was already a substantial number of orphans. There are many more now, and we can help them. Yes, we can. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I'm going to make my donation to the Red Cross right after we record this show. But uh, right now, let's spin the crazy music for Better No Framework. Awesome. All right, buddy, what do you got? I found some really good Git tutorials on the Did web. Did you really? Yeah, and there's a lot of them, you know, and there's all sorts of stuff on Pluralsight, too. But you're a reader, yep. and you learn best by reading. Well, there's some really well-written Git tutorials, uh, getting Git right. And if you go to tinyurl.com slash gityourbrain. Nice. Because that's the only thing that I could come up with that has Git in it that isn't already taken. That will bring you to atlassian.com slash git. Either way, get your brain at tinyurl. That, that, that works fine. And, um, I just peruse through these things and yeah, that it's good stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and a great company. They, they've, uh, they've done a lot in development, uh, bringing really taking development to the web, but it's very cool and, and obviously serious git integration. Yeah. And you know, if you, if you don't know it now, this is a great time to learn it. Yeah, folks. It's a great time to jump in. Yep. That's it. Who's talking awesome, to us, dude. Richard? Grabbed a comment off a of show 1028, one we did with a certain Mr. Phil Hack. Never heard of him. Never heard of him either. And it was, uh, we were talking about open source. It's just the whole, you know, if you think about it, that's back in August of 2014 before all the announcements about what Microsoft was up to as far as open sourcing the CLR and, and, uh, it's so much of the stack and the new ASP.NET that it was really kind of fun to, uh, to talk to Phil about this. You know, we kind of knew it was coming. And then Phil, I think, knew as well. So we were kind of talking around a certain number of things. But uh, um, Todd, uh, whose pseudonym is Halifax with a PH, which is a very clever name. I suspect he's Canadian, mm-hmm. uh, said uh, something that Richard said about Git, quote, punishing the brancher stuck with me a bit. While it's certainly true that Git's method encourages you to get back to the master branch as soon as possible, it does not necessarily encourage you to commit your changes back to the main repository in any hasty fashion. Or at least it doesn't punish you for postponing this. So long as you regularly pull down from the main repository into your own and rebase your feature branch against the master branch, you can sustain yourself indefinitely on your own private little source code island Hmm. by cultivating jungle fruits, spearing fish, and generally living the Robinson Crusoe developer lifestyle. (laughs) All right. That's really weird, dude. (laughs) But I get the most important part, which is as long as you keep rebasing, you know, bringing in the current version of the source code and, you know, working with your future branch, you're going to be okay. Just clean your spear once in a while. Yeah, absolutely. You just got to go check in once in a while, right? Mm -hmm. Or not, you know, something like that. Maybe it's check out again. Okay. That being said, it's always preferable to take your beneficial changes to a project back upstream. Git doesn't just punish you for doing things a little differently. Love the show, been listening for years, and it's been quality stuff the entire time. Todd, that was very generous of you, because yeah. I know we've had good days and bad days, but I'm pretty sure today is a good day. It's a good day. And uh, thank you for your comment. Uh, it's great to hear folks using Git and being willing to use it in different ways. Once again, reinforcing this idea that there's not one right way for anything. Mm-hmm. And love to send you .NET Rocks mug. So a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NETrocks.com or with any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Android, for Windows Phone 7 8, for Windows 8, and iOS. 
And that brings us to Phil. Phil Hack works at GitHub as an engineering manager for the desktop team. This team is responsible for GitHub for Mac, GitHub for Windows, and other interesting applications. Hmm, other interesting applications. Well, talk to Phil about that. Prior to GitHub, he was a senior program manager at Microsoft, responsible for shipping ASP.NET MVC and NuGet. These projects were released under open source licenses and helped serve as examples to other teams for how to ship open source software. He regularly writes for his blog at hacked.com. That's H-A-A-C-K-E-D.com and tweets random observations on Twitter as at hacked. He also speaks at conferences here and there, all over the world, actually, and has quit writing technical books forever several times now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, Hack. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You bet. And uh, we apologize to the listeners for being late today, but there's a good reason, isn't there? Uh, yeah, there is. The uh, We want to talk about the and other applications. Yeah. And other. Other interesting applications. What 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 are you up to? Uh, so we have been working on an interesting collaboration with Microsoft to build in GitHub features into Visual Studio uh, with the GitHub extension for Visual Studio. Right. Interesting features? Well, the GitHub extensions for Visual Studio have been around for, you know, since last year, right? Oh, no, no. Uh, so, sorry, I should uh, distinguish. So, Git within Visual Studio has been around. Um, but let's say you want to connect to a GitHub repository and you, like uh, any good GitHub citizen, has two-factor author authorization enabled. Um, you'd have to go through this whole set of steps where you would go to github.com and uh, create a personal access token and then use that instead of your regular password within Visual Studio because Visual Studio doesn't understand, you know, our two-factor exchange process, right? Okay. Uh, but now with the, the GitHub extension, um, we build uh, on top. You can now go to the Team Explorer tab and you'll see a new GitHub invitation section. And if you click Connect, uh, you'll see a familiar look. If you've used GitHub for Windows, you'll see a familiar looking login dialog. Uh, that allows you to log into either github.com or GitHub Enterprise. So if, if your company is using GitHub Enterprise, you can log into that. And that's another announcement that we made today, too, that I'll talk about. Um, after you log in, if you have two-factor enabled, we'll let you put the, your two-factor code in, and then we'll you know, do the OAuth uh, token exchange dance for you and store that in the Windows credential store. And now that's the same credential store that uh, Git within Visual Studio is using, and it makes it all a nice, seamless uh, process. And then from there, you'll see a new section in Team Explorer called GitHub that lets you, for example, clone a repository from github.com directly to your machine. Uh, you can also click on the Create button, and you can create a repository and uh, publish it directly to github.com and locally all at the same time in one motion. Huh. And if you, yeah, so, and, and the last uh, part of that is if you have a uh, local only repo repository, like you just went and created a new project and you initialize a Git repository, but it's not associated anywhere. If you go to uh, Team Explorer and you go to the, you know, the homepage for your repo within Team Explorer and click on the sync button, you'll see a new dialog there that will uh, let you publish right to GitHub. So it's a really nice, quick way to okay. get your local project quickly up to github.com and share it with the world. Wow. Yeah, because I'm I'm a user, and I won't say a happy user, but I'm a user of the Git extensions for Visual Studio. And have found, as as Phil knows, we uh, had a, a meeting here. This is, can I tell the story? 
Yeah, feel free. <laughs> oh, this is great. We had an, a meeting, an AppV Next meeting. AppV Next is a uh, consultancy that I've started with some really brilliant minds. And we, uh, they all came to New London and we're having a meeting and we're doing like a whole day of hacking on software, no pun intended. And, uh, we were just having some problems with the, with the Visual Studio integration. So I said, let's call Phil. And they're like, what? Yeah, let's call Phil. Let's see what he's up to. So we called him, had him on speakerphone and he helped us out. But the problem that we were having was, I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was just some random errors that we were getting that didn't seem to be real errors. You know, they seemed to be like several layers up the stack. Um, you know, that, that turns out that, yeah, there's, there were some problems with the way we set it up on some things. Well, well I think I'm, I know what it was. It was repositories that we had created with Visual Studio Online. Is that what it was? Yeah. And you, you were authenticated in one way, but not another way. I don't that's really, right. really recall. And but so it was like, based on the authentication. So that's right. So this is probably going to solve that problem. Well, this will solve it for, uh, for the repositories that you're using with GitHub, for sure. Right, which is what we do. And I imagine that's what a lot of people do. Yeah. A couple other, there's one other really cool feature I want to talk about with regard to the extension. Uh, so I mentioned that we worked really closely with uh, the Microsoft, the Visual Studio and TFS team on this. And so we had this really nice end-to-end -end experience that once you log into the extension inside Visual Studio and you're logged into GitHub.com in the browser, uh, if you've ever used the clone in desktop button or the clone in Windows button, you'll know that it's a really cool way from GitHub.com. You click on it and it'll clone it in GitHub for Windows. Right. So we've added a new button. If we know that you've logged into the extension, it says open in Visual Studio. So if you click on that button, it will actually uh, launch Visual Studio or give it focus if it's already running and uh, automatically pre-populate the clone dialogue there and clone it right to your uh, machine right inside of Visual Studio. That's nice. So it's kind of this neat end-to-end -end integration for getting a repository that's up on GitHub uh, quickly to your machine. What you're really doing is you're removing friction because there was a little bit of friction, you know, working the other way. Yeah, and that's uh, what we're trying to do here. That's And this is just the beginning of that. Um, the other thing we announced that build today that's pretty exciting is that we are at made GitHub Enterprise uh, which has in the past been sort of our on-prem version of GitHub for companies that uh, want a private GitHub. And we have that available on Azure now, and we support Hypervisor. Nice. Or Hyper-V. Hyper-V. And so this was obviously a feature that people have been asking for. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we've been really wanting to do is um, make GitHub friendlier to those who are developed on the Microsoft stack. Uh, our CEO, Chris Wanstroth, uh, had mentioned in this little promotional vi video at Build, Microsoft used to be this all-or-nothing stack, right? Like right. you had to you mm. know, bleed, bleed Microsoft blue from the front to the back. But uh, the new Microsoft is a lot more heterogeneous. You, know, you can pick and choose the pieces you want. And so we want to embrace that and sort of offer GitHub as an option for those pieces that you may prefer GitHub. Uh, within. So it's been really exciting. I mean, when you think about it, you know, GitHub Enterprise and, uh, you know, Visual Studio Online are in some ways competing products, but uh, in other ways, you know, complementary now that we're both inside of Visual Studio. Yeah. So like if you want to use one or you want to use the other, you know, feel free to choose the one that fits your workflow the best. And so uh, that's been 
uh, a big focus on our side uh, recently is like working together with Microsoft to give people these new choices within there. And uh, I have to admit, like it was quite a shock when I when we first pitched this to Microsoft, uh, how willing and accepting they were. I mean, if anything, to me, em- uh, sort of emblemizes the new Microsoft. It, right. it was this whole project that we've been working on. Well, and you've been on the other side of the fence, right? You used to be the Microsoft guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I used to joke with. Uh, so I was in a meeting with, uh, you know, the CEO of uh, GitHub a while back, and we were, I was pitching, you know, GitHub for Visual Studio. And he kind of, you know, off the cuff, he's like, "Why don't we just have Microsoft put it in Visual Studio?" And I, you know, n- like nearly laughed, laughed out loud, right? I was like, "Oh, yeah. I can give you five rock solid reasons why this would never, ever, ever happen. I have the battle scars to prove, you know, <laughs> why this would happen." <laughs> right. King Sanofsky was- would not have approved. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no comment. Uh, so- <laughs> nice. <laughs> I um. So I uh, was. It was funny. I was out to dinner with Scott Hunter, who is my former manager at Microsoft. Right. And you know he's been involved. He kind of runs ASP.NET now. Yeah, and, he was just uh, on the show talking about uh, the 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 new logic apps and things for Azure. Yeah, yeah. He's doing a lot of interesting stuff over there. Mm-hmm. Um. So so we were out to dr- uh, drink. I mean, eat and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Unrelated, you know, it w- I wasn't even talking about the work I was doing. We were just kind of talking about changes that Microsoft need. Kind of out of the blue, mentioned that, you know, man, this mi- new Microsoft, like the changes we're making are drastic. Like Satya is just making these crazy changes. Awesome. You know, Satya Nadella, the CEO, and he's like, yeah, almost nothing is, you know, off the table anymore. Wow. And so I was like, huh, <laughs> interesting. So I went to. Um, I set up a meeting with uh, Soma Segar, or as everyone calls him, Soma, yep. uh, to talk about this extension and say, hey, you know, if you guys you know, think it would be a good idea, just maybe kind of, you know, if you didn't think I was crazy, could we put this in Visual Studio as a first class component? And his response was, yeah, let's do it. Wow. So wow. when you run the VS 2015 installer, uh, in the installation experience, if you click, instead of clicking, you know, hey, I accept all the defaults, you know, I trust you more than myself, you click the customize this install button, you'll see it brings up a list of checkboxes and GitHub will, uh, GitHub extension for Visual Studio is now in there. And so you can, right through the installation process, you can install and pull in our extension. But you can also go to the Visual Studio Extension Gallery and get it if you've already installed Visual Studio 2015. Phil, I have a new title for you to add to your bio. (laughs) What's that? Ambassador of Goodwill. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) That's really what it is. You you are an ambassador between the world of open source and the world of Microsoft. I appreciate that. I I just love this stuff so much. So, I mean, we're talking now, is this really aimed at folks who've never used GitHub before, just trying to figure out how they want to manage their source and manage their project, and just not going down the TFS route at all? Or is it more people with existing GitHub projects but have never used Studio, here's, you can play with Studio the way you want to? Uh, You know, a little bit of both. I mean, I think in the short run, uh, you know, we're just getting started and there's still friction points, as you mentioned earlier. Um, But this is a really nice 
like my feeling about Visual Studio is that I know, you know, th- there are millions of Visual Studio developers out there, mm. and most of them, you know, if they if they could pull up a cot and live inside of Visual Studio, they would, right? Right. And so they don't want to leave it. And so we want to be, you know, I in my personal opinion, I feel like the best way to get GitHub to those people is to be where they live and be there. Yeah. Um, meet them where they're at. So that's what I'm trying to do, and that's what we're trying to do is make it. Uh, bring the barrier of entry to using GitHub from within Visual Studio lower. Right. Uh, you know, down the road, there's a lot more that we'd like to do in collaboration with Microsoft. Um, here, here's where I put them on the spot. You know, to make yeah. to make the entire end the end experience of using Git and GitHub easier and smoother within Visual Studio. And this is something that they seem pretty open to working with us. You know, we have a lot of uh, you know, right now, like the feature set that we we bring to the table is specific to GitHub. Um, but you know, who knows down the road if we can help uh, even with the some of the Git features down the road, uh, right. making those a little smoother. We already work with Microsoft on the libgit2 stuff, and so that's an important component of the Git functionality in Visual Studio. So uh, it's been really great working with them, and I hope to do more. So libgit2 is a library that facilitates the use of Git on PCs, right? That's right. It's a it's a library that allows you to basically embed um, Git functionality into your application so that you don't have to shell out to git.exe. Now, um, are these things that you're putting into Visual Studio, are you going to make a general purpose toolkit for C-sharp developers? I mean, you're wrapping around libgit, right? But you're But you're adding all this great GitHub goodness, right? Uh, yeah, we're, so a lot of the features that we put into Visual Studio actually are dependent on Octokit.net, which is an Uh-oh. open source library uh, for accessing the GitHub API, because most of the functionality is GitHub API uh, related. Not and yet, then some, yeah, yeah Octokit.net, so check it out. Uh, cool. GitHub.com slash Octokit slash Octokit.net. Is that O-C-T-O kit? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's right. All right. And then um, only a little bit of the work that we did relies on libgit2 sharp, which is the C sharp bindings for libgit2, which is a C library. Okay. Cool. And, and just, you know, part of me is there's so much a culture around Git is command line, right? It's like if you're a real user, you will be working with the command line. Linus says, and not only will you use the command line, you use the command line with his formatting. Are we, are, can we really get away from that? Is, the, is, is that a good goal? That's a great question. I think there's definitely always going to be an impedance mismatch when you start using GUIs for a tool that's really designed with the command line uh, in mind. Yeah. However, uh, I personally never advocate like for a completely GUI workflow when it comes to Git. However, about 80, you know, sort of the 80-20 rule, about 80% of the things I do often benefit from the GUI. Uh, as an example, this is not something that uh, we uh, can do in Visual Studio yet, or maybe we can and I just don't know. But in GitHub for Windows, we recently released uh, partial commits. Uh, so you say you're working on a file and you've changed a lot of things, but you're like, oh, you know, I want to create a logical commit of, you know, like the, all these changes are unrelated, but I want a logical commit of related changes. So you can go and get it for Windows. You can actually select which lines you want, what changes you want in the commit you create, and you select them in the GUI and you create that commit. 
Now, doing that through the command line, I find to be a lot more um, difficult or a lot, you know, harder to con- you know, like keep in my head than d- doing it through a GUI. So when I do commits like that, I love using you know the GUI to get it from Windows. But there's certain operations like uh, when I'm doing a bunch of interactive rebasing, um, I don't find uh, any of the tools yet out there. Isn't that illegal? <laughs> Only in 30 of the 50 states. Ah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, and I think you have to be 21. Nice. No, so, no interactive <laughs> rebase is not illegal. Force All pushing right. to master should be illegal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's GitHub jokes. Help me. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Well, you know, it's interesting because, like, you ask three different uh, Git users and you'll get three different answers on every single one of these questions, right? Right, for sure. And so there's definitely, you know, at GitHub, one of the things we're trying to do is sort of create this concept called the GitHub flow. And you'll see us reference this a lot. And it's sort of this, okay, there are a million ways to use Git, but here's one way that will do you well if you follow it. And, uh, you know, once you become more comfortable and ex- expert with Git, you know, feel free to create your own variants of it. Um, but if you're just learning Git, you know, try out this flow <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and you won't go wrong. And so we try hard to help people with, uh, you know, with that flow in everything we do. It's all about flow. That's right. It's all about hustle and flow. Yeah. Well, and in, and in my mind, GitHub has been part of the early solutions to continuous delivery on uh, on a lot of stacks, not just the Microsoft stack. But you know, the first time I really saw someone check in a piece of code and it showed up in Azure, it went through GitHub along the way. Yeah, yeah. I saw a Scott Guthrie demo that one time. Uh, and uh, at uh, I think it was like, a previous build, and I was really excited to see that he was using GitHub for Windows at the time. Felt real proud. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, hugely, hugely powerful stuff. And you guys, uh, I'm, I'm just really glad that you're addressing the sort of uh, friction, you know, because hey, you know, us Visual Studio developers, we're not used to that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Never, never had friction before. Never had friction. It always works perfectly. Right. Are we the only ones living in a world? Is, is the studio world weird in the idea of, yeah, here's this, this space you can live in that has all of your things? I, I would imagine that maybe the Java world is the closest similarity. Like if you're in Eclipse, you know, you kind of have everything you could ever want in Eclipse. Um, I think the difference, though, is that often for Microsoft, like everything you want is produced by Microsoft. Right. And whereas Eclipse, you know, every extension, it's probably third parties. And so... um, That's not entirely true. I mean, I don't need to derail you, your point, but maybe we can come back to that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like if you're using Visual Studio, you're probably using ReSharper. Uh, but how many other third-party extensions are you? Are but you I mean, using, so many right? of those things. Uh, jQuery, um, you know, NuGet, not NuGet, of course. That's you. But, <laughs> no, <laughs> okay, so but, I, but there's I meant, a lot I meant, of. Sorry, I meant like the extensions to Visual Studio itself, oh, not okay. the not the components that you pull down. Yeah, NuGet, I feel like has has changed the totally. That, 
I mean, and I'm biased here, but I mean, that was kind of the point with NuGet was to change that equation. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the challenges with Visual Studio extensions itself is that it's a, it's a challenging model to extend because of the history that it carries with it, right? You well, have it's a, a commercial four different history. extensibility. Well, no, the extensibility model is really challenging, right? You have, I mean, the MEF, the, the latest version, latest extensibility model, the MEF based stuff is, is actually really nice to mm. use. But to do anything serious, you still have to go back to DTE and COM and all these other things that are uh, sort of in there. And so, you know, over time, I would love to see that, you know, like everything get ported over to the the meth-based model yeah. so that uh, more people will be interested in um, doing it. But there's also this other factor of, you know, anything you could want in Visual Studio, almost all of it is already there. It's already there, yeah. 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 And then the, I was going to bring up the commercial aspect too, which is there's always been an ecosystem around, you know, things that extend Visual Studio typically are commercial. And with that ecosystem there, you know, there isn't an incentive for Microsoft to support community in Visual Studio. Yeah. I mean. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting angle on it too. Like when you look at the Eclipse community, uh, you know, everything is – as far as I understand it, you have to realize I'm not a heavy, yeah. heavy Java programmer. I haven't done it in years. So, um, but it seems like you know, being that the product itself is open source, that you know, all the components are going to be open source and not come from a single, uh, you know, provider. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Know what time it is? Ah, uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep, time to get lib git sharp, but not too sharp to make a GitHub gitter and sitter with OctaKit. Holy man. Say it again. <laughs> Time to get lib git sharp, but not too sharp to make GitHub gitter and sitter with OctaKit. <laughs> All right, everyone. Carl was drinking bourbon before the show. And yeah, I am not. Giant <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Ben. It's actually time to give away a D experience subscription to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant.net solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Jeff Sessions. Congratulations, Jeff. Yeah. Golf clap for you. Jeff just won the D Experience subscription from DevExpress, a big pile of awesome from them. And hey, if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of that fan club. But you got to sign up to win. Phil, now it's your turn. The tables are turned. Get. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) 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 If you had five grand to spend on technology, what would you buy? Oh, me? Yeah, you. Whoa, whoa. Um, I would buy probably the, oh, I know. Um, well, an Oculus VR headset, the largest 4K monitor I could buy, and then, um, a really fast laptop. I guess I could buy probably two of those three with 5,000, huh? So I have the Oculus V2 dev kit. 
Oh yeah. It gives you makes you nauseous. I'm sorry, folks. Oh. Makes me nauseous. It makes my mother nauseous. It makes my kids nauseous and my wife. So I'm kind of thinking it's not me. It's not there yet, huh? Well, I don't know if it's there or or not, but um, family. Yeah, I I, en- I thoroughly enjoyed um, because. Oh man, you can go up to the Oculus community and download these free things. One of them is like you swim with sharks. Yeah, but that's the problem. I mean, it's nice and you see whale. Oh, it's not a pretty whale. Rawr! <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden the screen goes red and you're done. But I yeah. Yeah, I tried a demo at Devu, which is a conference in Korea, mm-hmm. and it was the first time I tried it and I was just blown away. It's amazing. Yeah, I can't wait to use this. I read an article about um, this architect who had tried it out for showing prospective customers a walkthrough of what he was building. Yeah. And he was like, wow, we need to do this for everything we build. I mean, imagine like, you know, looking at blueprints is going to feel really dated when you can just actually walk through the building that you're trying to design for someone. I agree. Yeah. They just need to figure out how to make it work uh, so that you're not nauseous. But, and maybe maybe it's just the moving too quickly is the is the problem but yeah i found after about 10 minutes that was about all i could take yeah it's, it's a question of whether it's the hardware or the software right you know it is. their whole claim to fame in the oculus rift is this sub-second response time just a few milliseconds between the accelerometer sensing your head moving and the screens keeping up with you and that part is amazing and then that's the cornerstone of trying to keep people from having equilibrium problems well i find it's when you're moving in your environment that you know you press the arrow key or something like that it moves too fast so it's too jarring i mean nobody could walk that fast it's like the whole world just goes by you really quickly and it you know gives you that vertigo feeling and i have had the experience using oculus rift where i got to the edge in the world of a cliff and i had the visceral you know, oh, yeah. boogly boogly response. Oh, of, yeah. You got to get back from the edge of this cliff. Yes, I agree. That is amazing. Yeah, th- there's a really good video on YouTube of people like walking across a plank that's, you know, suspended over a real high chasm in the video, but mm. it's on the floor. <laughs> right. And they're all, they can't walk. But imagine like the one of the big challenges is going to be basically if you're moving in the VR world, but you're not moving in real world, your inner ear fluids are not moving around and, and matching what you're sensing, right. seeing. And that's often like what gets people sick, right? Like reading a book in a moving car. Right. Yep. Yeah. How do we get their their brain equilibrium, their, their inner ear to actually stay in there? Well, we don't have to do it. They have to do Somebody it. Somebody has to. Well, and my biggest appreciation for, for Oculus Rift is when uh, Adrian Carmack quit his own company. The guy who, who was one of the inventors of Castle Wolfenstein and Doom and Quake. You mean John Carmack? John Carmack. Sorry, I'm thinking. I, and I reference. There is an Adrian Carmack. He's his brother. Ah. Uh. But uh, John Carmack, when he he left his own companies to go work on this, mm-hmm. and that and that's a guy who's made some amazing video games, who's all been about 3D and so forth. When he's already started one, that's the one, and went over there. Uh, you got to take note, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. one of the best minds going. So Phil, uh, let's get back to the GitHub tools. Uh, I mean, you gave us some really good juicy stuff to work on. Where can we go get it? So the. Uh if you haven't installed Visual Studio 2015, again, uh, customize your install, and it's right there. 
Um, if you've already installed it, you can always go to the Visual Studio Gallery. Uh, we have a short URL, um, aka.ms slash ghfvs. Um, you can also learn more about it from visualstudio.github.com. Great. And I got to think you're one of the few people who actually knows what it takes to be in the box. Because I remember <laughs> talking to the um, the preemptive guys. Right. To, to Gabe Torok and them, and then they're like, like the only third party product that's been in the box for years. And it's really, really hard to be in the box. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that Microsoft did with Visual Studio 2015 is they created this new technology that makes it possible to sort of pull components, quote, in the box while still allowing those things to ship separately uh, through the Visual Studio gallery. So, uh, uh uh, if we were like completely in the box, you know, in the classic sense of that term, which is becoming more and more meaningless, you know, as, as software becomes more distributed and, you know, like uh, like we build package managers and this and that. Right. Um, so if we were traditionally in the box, we would have had to been done like, you know, a month or so before. Um, but we're we have it set up so that we can actually um, continue to iterate on this extension after Visual Studio 2015 ships. Now, the fact that we are part of the installation process, uh, if you customize it, means that you know we at GitHub are going to take really great care in doing that because we don't want to screw up that experience. Uh, that would be really bad. Right. Um, but you know we have the ability to, for example, provide new updates to this extension uh, without having to wait for the next major version of Visual Studio 2015. It's really an 16. anachronistic idea to even think about the box anymore. Right. This yeah. it goes against everything we've been just talking about, about you want to be able to compose your dev solution. Your dev environment is whatever pieces you want, and they all should install equally, irrespective of where they come from. Yeah, yeah. So th that's exactly right. So like in the box just means, you know, in the ISO image that you might get from your MSDN subscriber uh, thing. But I mean, how many people are trying to install Visual Studio without an Internet connection? That number is probably very small. So yeah, we can. Um, it's I, I'm really happy that they had. Uh, I mean, they had been already been working on this technology, obviously, and uh, we were able to benefit from them. And um, I think it was actually made for their partner teams within Microsoft, uh, but we were able to um, benefit and ship GitHub as as a sort of quote in the box without all the restrictions thereof. Right. So it's the best of both worlds from our perspective, right? Absolutely, and. And good for the users, too, because you don't have to wait till the box updates to put out updates. Right. So the next update will show up both in the extension manager. So you'll get the little, you know, update bubble or whatever it looks like these days saying, hey, there's an update to this extension. Um, but new users who the next time we have an extension, new users who are just installing, getting around installing Visual Studio 2015 um, will always get the latest version of the GitHub extension with the install. Right. Okay. I mean, that's a good thing. And that's the way it should be. You know, this is the land of NuGet and every other package, automated package installer to make life easier. So I thought that I can just make it part of the process and it'll just happen. Are there any gotchas that we've ignored so far? Oh, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> everything's going to be all right. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I, I think, it, you know, to be 
I guess set expectations. Uh, you know, our hope set them low. Like yeah, <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> this is just the beginning, and yeah. uh, there's a lot more we want to do. So, for example, when you go to a repository, you'll see some nav items like pull requests, grass issues, and right now those just link off to GitHub.com. Uh, so, like, you know, we click, oh, am I going to get an integrated issue tracker right from within Visual Studio that points to GitHub issues? No, that's not in this release, but, uh, you know, who knows what the future may hold. Right. You can only do so much in a given path. Yeah, but the fact that I can, uh, you know, update and just get everything working for day-to-day operations is fine. I, I don't mind going to the website. In fact, if you don't know how to get around on GitHub.com, yeah, this tool isn't going to do anything for you, really. Don't you think? I mean, you really got to know how to use that website. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a thing. You know, I just moved over the geek out um, suggestion list to GitHub. And I'm using uh, the uh, an add-in or a, a, a service called FeetHub that sits on top of GitHub to be able to let people vote on what features they want. Yeah, feet. In this case, the features are geek out app topics. Feet, F-E-A-T, feet hub. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Ah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, one of the things I want to make very clear is that all the, we sort of made the experience at the edge, the border better for GitHub users, right? Like whether you're logging in, connecting, uh, cloning, that sort of thing. But all your day-to-day Git operations is still has already been provided by the Git extension within Visual Studio, which is now a core, truly in the box extension of uh, Visual Studio. So creating commits, uh, pushing those commits to a remote, all of that is you know what was there already, and uh, uh, you know so we we didn't change any of that. It was kind of nice that it was already there because we didn't have to rebuild all of that either. Um, we could just make the the sort of the getting your repository connected to GitHub so that all those operations actually work with GitHub um, is the part that we really helped with here. And, uh, you know, down the road, like I said, I would love to help improve all those other things. I mean, it, as you guys might know, it's not truly a GitHub feature unless it has emoji support. <laughs> we need to get to that point. I mean, I, I can't mm-hmm. think of anything more mission critical than that. <laughs> <laughs> emojis are that important uh, they are I, amazingly important to some people you wouldn't believe it so <laughs> where do you fall on migrating s- source management like if if there's folks out there that are you know i ha- hate to say it but even using tfs and, and so forth and are thinking i'm my you know i've, I've been having pressure to switch to github for a while I can't imagine the first round you've got any tooling around this, but that's a really tricky project, migrating a source base to some other service. Yeah, it is. And uh, we do have some tools for that now. Um, If you recall, Google Code recently closed down their source code hosting or announced the the closing. And so we had had some tools in progress for helping people on Google Code migrate over to GitHub. And... uh, I, I have trouble keeping, you know, things are changing so fast, even internally. Uh, if you have a project that you want migrated over and you're not sure how, what I would recommend is email support at github.com and someone will help you um, help you get migrated over if that's something that you want to do. You know, the Git part of things is really the easy part, right? Like if you're already in Git, you know, moving from one Git to another is pretty easy. 
There's also, you know, easy extensions if you're in other source control things to migrate to Git. Uh, the real challenge is all your issues and right. uh, other other collateral that you might have. All of the work item stuff. Plus, I've never met anybody who was happy with what was in their repository right now, and they didn't want to propagate the badness to the new repository. Like there's, a, there's an endless need to clean things up that can actually paralyze you from doing anything. Oh, yeah. Like the... Uh, you know, every, every time I open source something, the uh, amount of scrubbing, you know, there's always the, the two schools of thought. One is you just like copy the code, paste it in a new repo and have this one big commit. But you lose that on all the history of, oh, why did you make these changes and all that? Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, it's, you know, if you weren't careful thinking it was going to be open and shared all along, you may have committed, you know, credentials on accident. You may have committed uh, comments that you'd rather not be exposed to the public. Mm. Um, Git, Git gives you a way to fix that. It's a, it's sort of like a, uh, a canon of a tool, um, Git filter branch, where you can go in and rewrite the entire history of your uh, repository. Um, but, uh, you know, the danger in that is if you're actively working with others on that repository, you'll have to do a force push and you'll invalidate sort of all their checked out branches. So that's one of those things you need to do in coordination with everybody working on your repository if you're going to do that. So, uh, you know, one thing I try to do as much as I can is assume that whatever I'm working on is eventually going to be open source and um, take that approach with uh, working with it. Yeah, that. What was my favorite comment when I wrote this? Only God and I understood what I was doing. <laughs> now only God knows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or the ever popular WTF? Yeah, yeah. People writing cursing comments back and forth to each other in projects, and then you open source it. Well, the whole you know maybe we got to do another show on this. It's just the whole prospect of taking a closed source project and making it open source is just not. A trivial thing mm -hmm. or just uh even like if you have an existing open source project and you guys and you decide that you know or microsoft comes in and says hey we would like to ship this in our product right. and work with you on it which is a great thing because every project would love to have dedicated developers join in and then yeah. microsoft comes along oh but we want to run polycheck on this uh which is a tool internal tool called like policy check that looks for every possible uh, uh offensive word and uh it's really an educational tool to run against code base. I learned all kinds of really awful terms that I didn't know before. It ruined my innocence. <laughs> it actually teaches you curses you've never even heard of. Yeah, it's well, like, wow, I, I would have never thought that meant something bad. So you never hung out on UrbanDictionary.com then? <laughs> you know, I uh, so when I was running Polycheck, this was before uh, Urban Dictionary was well known. <laughs> well, and it's the difference between all the things that western folks have created as naughty words and words that have always been incredibly inappropriate right. in other cultures yeah and you and if you've never been there you know you just have no idea we've played with this on other shows other where we've shows talked about the words that are f that are commonplace and fine in the uk utterly shocking in the u.s and vice versa speaking of that oh yeah speaking of that richard this week i've learned that when you keep a bottle of Maker's Mark in the freezer, unopened, when you open it, that wax shatters like glass. Oh! Is it sharp? It's sharp. And it goes oh, no. everywhere. Are you wounded? I'm not, no, but... But you made a mess. I made quite a mess. And soon that wax won't be frozen anymore. No. 
No. I think I think he was cut, but luckily he had a bunch of Maker's Mark to pour on his wounds. Ah. Didn't didn't matter. And the wax is red anyway, so it hides all That's the blue. That's right. So fits right <laughs> in. <laughs> uh, interesting uh, tip there, just to add in. Before you stick your Maker's Mark in the freezer, open it. That's what we always do. There you go. That's a good answer. This things you learn on .NET Rocks. There you go. Has nothing to do with GitHub. <sighs> and I was trying to find a link to Polycheck, but I guess it's just an internal app. I, I yeah, I'm pretty sure it's an internal app. Uh, it was interesting because we you know got this one big commit within libgit2 or libgit2 sharp. I can't remember. Maybe it was a series commit. So my memory's hazy, but removing you know all the uh, swear words that uh, had accumulated over time from you know various open source developers contributing to the project. Right. Yeah, uh, you know, just, I personally, I'm I, I'm a fan of the local color, but I also, uh, you know, can understand that, uh, especially when you're working in a project that's uh, multicultural, right? Like with people all over the world, it's best to, you know, it's best to play it safe. And there's no there's no benefit in offending people who might be contributing to your code. I totally and, agree. And this is not necessarily Polychex just letting you know you could have an issue with. You still got to decide what you're going to do about it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's for sure. It's, it it doesn't know, right? Like sometimes you're using the word in the correct context, but if you were, used it in a different context, it would be offensive. Right. Yeah. So you do. Ha- you, there does have to be an assessment here, but at least it helps you have a know where to look. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, we the uh, earlier this week we put out the show uh, with the open source panel discussion at .NET Fringe. And a, and a piece of that conversation was really about what are the impacts of an organization as large and heavily invested in source code coming into the open source community in such a big way going to have on the community as a whole. Like, this is idea of, you know, you just brought you, this whole thing with Polycheck. This is something you'd never think of that if we're going, if Microsoft's going to basically endorse a chunk of code, these are things that are going to happen. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because, you know, Microsoft's not the first large multinational corp yes. to come mm-hmm. into open source, right? I mean, IBM's been there for a long time. and Oracle so, owns flipping Java. And MySQL. Yeah. On the other hand, everybody expects Oracle to be evil. It's just no illusion. Like, <laughs> they just have it on the wall. We're evil. So? <laughs> Yeah, maybe all the angst is that like we people still hold out some small inkling of hope of that Microsoft won't be evil, right? Uh, or as Hanselman wrote, like that it's too, uh, you know, you can't attribute it to evil when you when you could uh, explain it with incompetence. Yes, I, well, they, I think on that panel they had that great line that said, "We are not as organized as we would need to be to be as evil as you think we are." That, that's the quote. Yes, that's yes. the yeah. gold right there. So brilliant. But I have to say, like, as a now outside observer, like, I think they're doing really well. Um, what I was a real big fan of the blog posts that came from the Roslyn team and the .NET uh, Framework Core CLR team, where they showed, like, stats that we don't even have available on GitHub yet that I would really like now. Um, things like, you know, time to first comment on an issue, time to first comment on PRs. Like they're hmm. trying to keep those numbers really low, and I think that's a really good example for any open source project yeah, is to no sort kidding. of track that. And so it it made me think about my own approach, where sometimes you know I'm really busy, so I won't comment on an issue because it's going to take me some time to think about it. But it made me think, well, what if I just said, hey, look, this is going to take me some time to think about it, but I really appreciate it, and I will get around to it. 
like how much better would that be for new contributors who you know who have no idea whether any given project is alive, whether they're doing the right thing. If you you know it doesn't take that long to respond to say, hey, look, it will take me time to respond versus radio silence for like two weeks, which is my typical <laughs> modus yeah. operandi. And uh, you know, like so. Like it's actually how they're approaching it is kind of influencing how I'm thinking about how I handle my own, you know, personal projects. Well, and and such an interesting skill that I think we've all cultivated is this ability to look at a project and assess: is this alive? When was the last check-in? When was the last comment? When was the last download? All of those kinds of things, just to have a sense: is this project alive? Yeah, yeah, and I think for me, like you know. Whether it's alive or not, it's it's almost more like, you know, doesn't matter if it's done, right? Like some yeah. projects don't need a lot of changes. But what's more important to me is more is the community around it alive, right? Like, our, yes. And, and how do we create an environment where new contributors who this might be the very first time you've ever issued a comment on a or a pull request to a project and you have no idea how open source works. You know, you heard about GitHub and you're like, oh, I saw, you know, I went to upforgrabs.net, saw this low hanging fruit, decided to fix it. And if your first experience with that is radio silence. Or right. even worse, like a, a vitriolic comment, uh, that's really going to turn you off. <laughs> so, like you know, I I, I want to kind of encourage, like you know, like yeah, you may be busy, you know, I'm busy, but uh, if I can, you know, try to at least just say, hey, look, I really appreciate your comment or PR. I will get to it. But I'm really busy. I hope you understand. I mean, I could have that as a template. You know, <laughs> like it doesn't take yeah. me any time to respond like that. Yeah, no, I think that's that's very powerful. It's like have a separate email address for your role as a a project lead, so that you can essentially set an out of office that says, "I value your contribution. I will look at it, but I'm busy just like you. You know, we're here and we are paying attention to this." Uh, interesting. I'm like effing busy. Quote <laughs> Michelle <laughs> Bustamante. Yeah. Well, Phil, what's next? I mean, this was obviously a major milestone. You're going to continue work on this? Uh, yeah. I uh, Well, after build, I'm going to uh, take a vacation and then... Been a little stressful there, buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, leading up to it, it's been, a, it's been an extremely fun project, but uh, very, very busy. Um, so, I mean, I think I told you guys last time we, I, that I'm a manager now. So, like, right. my primary responsibility is management, but... Um, you know, this was one of those projects where, you know, we had a hard deadline and there's no getting around it. So we, uh, I chipped in, you know, rolled up my sleeves and chipped in with helping, uh, Andrea Gaeta, who you guys should have on your show sometimes. Right. She's amazing. Uh, she, um, she did a lot of the, uh, coding. I helped out a lot with the coding as well. And, uh, you know, we did what, whatever it took to get it done in time for build. And, uh, we're really excited with, uh, what we have so far. And we're, we're really excited to build a lot more in the future. Awesome. Phil, thanks. And listeners, thanks for waiting for us. We knew you. We knew it would be worth it. Thanks, Phil. Thank you, guys. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, 
a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the MCU.